And it's February 1st, 2016, Skype class over Hilo, Hawaii. Reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 3, Chapter 9, Brahma's Prayers for the Creative Energy, Text 23. Esa prapana varadara mayatma saktya. Yad yad karishya tigrihita gunavatara. Tasmin swavikramamidam srijato picheto. Yunjita karma shamalam chayata vijayam. Translation and purport by Srila Prabhupada. The Supreme Lord, the personality of Godhead, is always the benefactor of the surrendered souls. His activities are always enacted through his internal potency, Rama, or the goddess of fortune. I pray only to engage in his service in the creation of the material world, and I pray that I not be materially affected by my works, for thus I may be able to give up the false prestige of being the creator. Purport. In the matter of material creation, maintenance, and destruction, there are three incarnations of the material modes of nature, Brahma, Vishnu, and Maheshwar. But the Lord's incarnation as Vishnu in his internal potency is the supreme energy for the total activities. Brahma, who is only an assistant in the modes of creation, wanted to remain in his actual position as an instrument of the Lord, instead of becoming puffed up by the false prestige of thinking himself the creator. That is the way of becoming dear to the Supreme Lord and receiving his benediction. Foolish men want to take credit for all creations made by them. But intelligent persons know very well that not a blade of grass can move without the will of the Lord. Thus all the credit for wonderful creation must go to Him. By spiritual consciousness only can one be free from the contamination of material affection and receive the benedictions offered by the Lord. Esa prapana varado ramayat mashakya yat yat karishyati grihita gunavataraha tasmin swavikrama idam sujito picheto the Supreme Lord, the Personality of Godhead, is always the benefactor of the surrendered souls. His activities are always enacted through His internal potency, Rama, or the Goddess of Fortune. I pray only to engage in His service in the creation of the material world. And I pray that I not be materially affected by my works, for thus I may be able to give up the false prestige of being the Creator. So Lord Brahma is the creator because that's his nature. He's talking to Krishna as the guna avatara, but Lord Brahma is also a guna avatar. He's the guna avatar of passion. His nature, his desire is to be the creator. That's, that's what he wants to do. Krishna talks about in the Bhagavad Gita uh, very clearly in many places, twice very strongly in the 3rd and 18th chapter, that we must engage in our nature. We won't be able to engage in someone else's nature. And our choices are to do our nature for him or for illusion. So Lord Brahma, uh, being a, uh, although a guna avatar, still a living entity with a material body, conditioned by the modes of nature, uh, he has some particular desire that he wants to do. But he's asking, I want to do it without being materially affected. So this is, in one sense, uh, more or less, everyone's desire in the material world. I want to do the things that I enjoy. I want to get pleasure out of my work without the downside. You know, I want to eat lots of food that I enjoy without getting fat. 
I want to, you know, I, I want to enjoy it without consequences, without negative consequences. I just want the positive consequences. That's what everybody wants that. However, it may be worded. Lord Brahma's wording it here in a particular way, which we'll examine in a moment. But this desire is innate to the living entity because it is part of our nature. Right? The liberated entity in their natural position, Swarupam, in the spiritual world, uh, they get to serve the Lord according to their desire, according to their nature. Of course, their desire there is not a particular way they want to enjoy. It's a particular way they want to serve. And there's no negative consequences. There's no reactions. The gopis want to serve Krishna as an unmarried lover, but there's no reactions. There's no unwanted pregnancy. There is no uh, sexually transmitted diseases. And there's no big scandal where they lose everything. You know uh, That doesn't happen. They, they don't have that happen. They can just, uh, you know, the, the cowherd boys, they go in the forests and they don't, nobody drowns in the river. I mean, could you imagine sending, you know, four-year-old children to the forest with a river <laughs> and monsters and big animals? Uh, nobody gets hurt by the cows. Nobody drowns in the river. Nobody gets killed by the demons. There, there's no negative consequences at all. Right? The, even right in Dwarka and Mathura, Krishna is fighting with Jarasandha, and 17 times Krishna and Balaram decimate Jarasandha's army. You know, virtually speaking, only Jarasandha is left. We might, maybe some of his soldiers are still alive, and Krishna and Balaram's army is not touched. So this, again, it's what everybody wants. This is the, the fictional stories from the beginning of human civilization, you know, they lived happily ever after. They have the, the benefits of romance without the downside. The, the hero who kills all the bad guys and uh, himself or herself escapes without a scratch, right? <laughs> or maybe a little scratch. One, one little scratch that quickly heals. So this is the, this is the desire, right? So how, how to do this? There is a way to do it. In fact, if there wasn't a way to do it, we, the desire wouldn't be universal. One of these most strong evidences for the fact that we are spiritual beings that don't belong here is that we have desires which, materially speaking, cannot be fulfilled. They can only be fulfilled spiritually. If we were material beings, why, where would the desire come from? It wouldn't exist, but it's a universal desire to be happy without suffering. So there are many ways that people try to go about this. Of course, the conditioned souls, more or less, try to go about achieving happiness and satisfaction in their work without concomitant miseries by being independent of the Lord. I'm going to do it my way. And this tendency is visible in the human child starting at around one year old when they say, no, <laughs> I'm going to do it my way. And the children grow up a little bit and they say to their parents, you know, I, I don't want you telling me how to do things and what to do. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to be happy independently. And the parents who have much greater experience, they say, you know, that won't work. You can't be happy that way. And the teenagers insist, no, no, I want to try it. Hmm? 
So this is our general mood with Krishna. And those who do this in a grossly sinful way, uh, they end up with bad karma. I'm going to try to be happy in however I, eating whatever I want, doing whatever I want. And then they get the bad reaction. It doesn't work. They think, you know, I won't pay the legitimate price. I won't pay the legitimate price. Instead of working hard for my livelihood according to my varna, according to my occupation, I'll cheat. I'll cheat on my taxes or I'll have a cheating business in some way. You know, I'll, I'll scam on the profits. And the world is, is full of people trying to cheat on the way that they make their livelihood. And then they get bad karma. I want, I want to get lots of money without working hard. Or I want to get more money in relationship to how I work. I'm supposedly making 20 an hour, but because I'm cheating, I'm really making 30 an hour. But then you get the bad karma for it. So you have to suffer in another way. You can't go around the system like that. It doesn't work like that. You cheat on the one side, you get cheated on the other side. So many people born into poverty, born into want. Why? Because in their last life they were cheating. So that doesn't work. You can't, you can't be independent of God and say, you know, I'm going to get more than I pay for it. I'm, I'm going to get a bargain. <laughs> Or I'm going to get everything for free. What do they say? There's no free lunch. So then a little better than that, figure out there's a God running the show and he knows what he's doing. So say, all right, the way I'm going to enjoy without suffering is I'm going to be a paid agent. I'm going to be a paid employee in the universal government. And people do this in many ways. On this earth, we have so many people who make their living by being religious people. Or even uh, they're not being religious people in the sense of ministers and priests and imams, uh, but they're, they're devoting themselves to God and saying, if I devote myself to God, then I can enjoy the world without difficulty. He'll take away all my difficulties. He'll come in and bat for me. <laughs> you know, He'll defeat my enemies and, and so forth and so on. And that's certainly better than the person who's just trying to walk around the system. It's certainly better, but we find that even the paid agents of the Lord, because they're really interested in their own pay, that they also end up in difficulty. We find the great demigods, right, or the religious people on this earth, that sometimes they don't do the will of the Lord. Sometimes they're caught in some kind of scandal. Even the great demigods, even in the Bhagavatam, there's uh, stories of scandals among the demigods, uh, usually sexual scandals. And then they may fall from their position. They forget that I'm here as an employee of the Lord, something, you know, like the, the person has a big position in a company, and then they think, well, now I have a big position. Uh, all right, well, you know, I'm working for the company, but I can do a little bit on the side too. So if you're strictly acting as a paid agent of the Lord, then yes, you get good karma. You won't get bad karma, but it's very risky. It's very risky. You may make a mistake, even if you're a good person like Rittenrigger who made a mistake, or your internal desires which are still basically self-centered may assert themselves in various ways and you may end up doing something that's not really for the Lord. 
and then you may also suffer. And even if you have just good karma, even if you could work as the Lord's paid agent and you were only amassing good karma, still one has a material body. One has birth, death, old age, and disease. One has adhyatmic, adhidaivic, adibotic miseries. Abrahma, bhuvana, luka, punaravartin, arjuna. Mamupecha, tukonteya, punajanma, nivijite. It doesn't matter. You're still in the prison. All right, so you're an agent of the Lord in the prison, but you're not out of the prison. <laughs> you don't get to get out of the prison. You're not in your swarup. The amount of happiness one experiences in Sadfagun is not... Um, unlimited. So then there's a way that Lord Brahma is speaking about here. He's not asking to be a paid agent free of bad karma. That, that's not what he's asking for here. He's saying, I want to be a loving servant, and the, what the difficulty I want to be free of is the difficulty of being selfish, the difficulty of being prideful. I want to be free of any difficulty that is going to separate me from you. Now that's quite a different request than a materially conditioned soul makes, although it certainly has elements of similarity. Because the conditioned soul is saying, I want to get the good thing without myself suffering the bad thing. And I'm connected with you, Lord, if I'm trying to connect at all, so that you will mitigate the bad effect. But Lord Brahma is saying, I don't want to be disconnected from you. And in fact, devotees on this level, as Lord Brahma says in the 14th chapter of the 10th canto, are indeed willing to suffer the reactions of sins that they've committed, as long as they don't get separated from the Lord. Of course, no one is separated. We mean having this illusion of being separated. It's quite interesting. The materialistic person, whether impious or pious, they don't really care so much about whether or not they have an illusion of being separate from the Lord. In fact, it's one of the things that they want. Even the paid agents of the Lord have a, a deep down desire to be able to say, I did this. Kartaham iti manyuti. You find this even at the level of Indra and so forth. So the, what Lord Brahma is saying is, I don't want to say I did this. I want to say that you did this. And therefore, there's their akarma. They're not entangled in the material world. But they're, they're not even concerned about, you know, am I going to be attacked by the three miseries and so forth and so on. Kita janmahai tu jata tu adas. Lord Bhaktivinotakra says, I'm willing to be a worm if I can have my connection with you. It doesn't matter. He's saying, I can be Brahma, I can be a worm whatever situation you want me to be in, as long as I'm connected with you, that's the misery I want to be free of. Just like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu asked Ramananda Roy, what's the most miserable thing? He said, to be separated from the Lord's devotees is the most miserable thing. To be out of contact with the Lord and his associates. That there's nothing more miserable than that. If you're with the Lord and with the Lord's devotees, then whatever situation one goes through, is, it doesn't, it's irrelevant. And we have some concept of this principle in material life. Just like the Taj Mahal in India was built by one B. 
big ruler for his wife. And as typical for rulers, they go through good times and bad times. So during one of the bad times, he was exiled, and his wife followed him into exile. And his mood was, my exile was tolerable because the woman I loved was there by my side. He had so much love for this woman that when she died, he built her this huge memorial that, you know, being the king, being in the forest, if you're there, it doesn't matter, I'm happy. Now we have some idea of this. If the person we love is with us, then we can tolerate anything. And we have some idea of this because that is the ultimate reality. In this world, the problem is that the person we love and who loves us, it's not real love, or it's not pure love. Now, just like Sita says to Ram, I want to go with you to the forest. And he says, yeah, how can you come to the forest? You know, in those days, the boys particularly were trained as children in austerity. Their school wasn't just a school where they learned you know, algebra and biology, but it was also a school where they learned austerity, dedication to the guru, sense control, and so forth. They learned good character. And the girls were educated at home, especially a princess would have been educated at home in luxury. It wasn't expected uh, that she would have to go through that austerity as a child. Of course, even the royalty, when the men took to the Vanaprasta order, lived in the forest, the wives accompanied them Gandhari went to the forest, she was called a great Tapasvini, and Kunti went to the forest and so forth in their old age, following their husbands. Uh, Devahuti lived without her husband, both her husband and her son left her. Of course, she wasn't living in, a, in, a, in the forest at that time. Uh, but anyway, Sita had no experience of living like that in the forest, and Ram said, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to tolerate it. It's just going to be too much for you. I'm just thinking, in modern society, the middle class, upper class families, they do try to give their children some training in these things, through things like Boy Scouts and, and Girl Scouts. Right? I remember as a child and that I, would, I was a member of the Girl Scouts, and we'd go out camping, we'd live in a tent, right, with practically no amenities. But Ram said to Sita, you don't, you don't have this experience. How are you? And she said, it doesn't matter. She said, if you're there... Wherever you are, that's my heaven, and wherever you're not is my hell, and the palace is hell without you, and the forest is heaven with you. So this is the mood of the devotee. The devotee is saying, the misery I want to avoid is separation from you. I'm not trying to avoid misery in other ways. Bhaktivinoda Thakur says, the trouble I take in your service that's my greatest happiness. So how does one become separated from Krishna? Because one's never separated with, from Krishna. Jiva Bhuta Sanatana, we're always part and parcel of Krishna. Rajesha Arjunatistati. Krishna is always in our heart. Krishna is in every atom. He's everywhere. So what does it mean? It means that we stop perceiving the reality. So Lord Brahma is saying, don't let me ever see things falsely. Don't let me ever become prideful. I am the doer. I am wonderful without Krishna. 
Even in ordinary life, a person is considered uncouth if they don't give proper credit. We're putting together Raghunath Das Goswami's book, Manashiksha. So we have an acknowledgments section. Who helped with what? Uh, these people did the translation, these people wrote commentary, these people did the editing, these people did the proofreading, these people gave donations, these people did the artwork, these people did the layout, these people did this. We thank them. These people gave the inspiration. We give them the credit. I remember many years ago, when I was first involved with the... uh, this kind of international board of education, which is what the ministry was called at the time. So I was working with the head of the of the ministry to craft a lot of proposals, the proposal for against child abuse in 1990, and many other proposals. But I never got the credit. And the head of the ministry said, "Well, if I give credit to you, you're a woman, and then nobody will accept it." <laughs> I said, "I got to put my own name on it. Leave yours off of it." Okay. But, you know, it's, it's a little distasteful, isn't it? So Krishna is doing everything. Everything we're doing is really by His grace. And if we take all the credit for ourselves, it's a little distasteful. Of course, Krishna likes to give His devotee all the credit. But that's different than the person trying to steal it. Isn't it? And Krishna likes Arjuna to take all the credit. But Arjuna is giving Krishna all the credit. So Krishna is giving Brahma all the credit. Krishna is staying in the background. The demigods go to the shore of the ocean of milk and they don't even see him. They don't even hear him. He just speaks to Lord Brahma. Narada Muni asked Lord Brahma, are you the supreme? I, I thought you were the supreme, but now I see you're meditating on someone. It must be somebody else. Or the Yamadudas say to Yamaraj, we always thought you were the supreme. Now that these other four beautiful persons have come, we're thinking, must be somebody higher than you. <laughs> so Krishna's giving his devotee the credit. Yamaraj seems to be supreme, Brahma seems to be... This. But the devotee wants to give Krishna the credit. Yamaraj is so happy. Oh, I'm so glad you're asking about my master. So this is the devotee side. The devotee wants to give Krishna the proper credit that he's the doer, I'm the instrument. Krishna is using me. Materially, we don't like it when someone's using us. It has a connotation of exploitation. But spiritually, I think all of us have experienced that the most joy in our lives is when we really feel connected as Krishna's instrument. We really feel Krishna's working through me. That's practical humility. I'm not really doing anything. And Prabhupada would say, whatever wonderful thing I've done is my faith in my guru, my faith in the holy name. He said, that's wonderful. But actually my guru is doing everything. Krishna is doing everything. So that's humility and that's honesty. The devotee wants to be in the truth. They don't want to have some illusion. Now most of us say we want the truth. We say we want authenticity. We get very disturbed when other people aren't authentic, but at the same time we don't really want authenticity. We want this falsity and deceit and so forth. But the devotee, to be able to have, uh, do anything in the world without being touched by anything negative, 
They're in this mood of complete authenticity and complete humility. And they're in sync with the Lord's desire. Now, often we think of that materially, that to be in sync with the Lord's desire means that I have no independent will, that I have no independent desire. But that's not a relationship between persons. That's an impersonal way of thinking. You know, my machine doesn't have an independent desire. My car, my computer, it doesn't have, it has no independent desire. But Krishna doesn't want us to be a machine. So when we say our desires are in sync with the Lord, it's more like a dance. It's the way that we feel when we're with somebody that we, that we have affection for, that we care about. And we're two separate people with two separate points of view and yet at the same time we're working together in harmony. Prabhupada always talks about that kind of oneness. And to have our mind absorbed in Krishna. So Vishnu Chakavadi Thakur, commenting on this verse, says that Lord Brahma is asking that his mind be filled with the Lord's leelas rather than being filled uh, just simply with his work of creating. And indeed, the universe is his leela. The universe is his universal form. It's the leela of Garbhadakshai Vishnu. It's his leela in terms of all the leela avatars coming there. You know, just like a person can be the head of a temple, the head of a project, and all they're ever thinking about is, you know, the, the finances and the cleaning and the interpersonal conflicts. Well, okay, one has to deal with those things. But one can be dealing with those things in terms of what are the, what are the deities wearing? How, what festivals are we having for the deities? What festivals of the incarnations are we celebrating? What, which of the Lord's pastimes are we reading about in our Shastra classes and, and so forth? to be absorbed in the Lord's pastime. And perhaps the most significant aspect of this verse in terms of how to work in the world without being materially affected is Ramaya Atma Shakya. Enjoying always with the goddess of fortune with his internal potency. So Brahma is saying, I want to be under the care of my mother Lakshmi. Brahma's mood in this world is as the Lord's son. Just like Gopal Kumar, he sees Brahma as the son of the Lord and the with Mother Lakshmi, although she doesn't give birth to him. He's called Atmaja because of that. Still, she has the position of his mother. Prabhupada will sometimes talk about the Hare Krishna mantra like that. Mother Hara gives us the grace of our father, Hari. So, the Lord is give, doing everything through his potencies, everything through his potencies. And we are going to be under the care of one of these potencies. So Krishna has Parashtra Shakti Vividaya Vishnu He has unlimited potencies, but we can divide them into three, the internal, the external, and the marginal. So we as the jiva are the marginal, and we need some sort of shelter. We cannot stay at all for a moment without shelter we can't the, the, the marginal potency doesn't mean there, that there's some place that, some sort of geographical or existential place where the jiva is on a margin without shelter it's impossible we can be partially under one shelter and partially under the other uh, that's certainly possible there's bhakti in the modes of nature as Lord Kapiladev describes later on in this canto 
but we have to be under the shelter of some energy. So external energy, again, means the energy of forgetfulness. It's interesting because the external energy is Durga Devi, and Durga Devi is the sister of the Lord. She's his younger sister, and she's his very great devotee. In her, uh, in, when, the, when Lord Chaitanya incarnated, Durga Devi became the disciple of Haridas Thakur. So she's a great devotee of the Lord. At the same time, her job, like that of her husband, Lord Shiva, is to keep rebellious living entities from troubling the Lord. If somebody's envious of us, etc., we like to keep them at some distance. So she keeps them covered. And when you're under the shelter of her energy, then one's working blindly, more or less. More or less. In ignorance, almost complete blindness in passion, um, a little bit less blindness and in goodness, uh, very little blindness, but it, with, with some sort of covering over the... One is in the kind of the very kind of separation that Lord Brahma doesn't want to have. And if you we were talking earlier, if you're in difficult situations with someone you love, there's a sense of shelter. But to be in a difficult situation alone, the worst, isn't it? To be in a hospital alone, to be behind enemy lines alone, <laughs> to be poor alone. Perhaps that's our greatest fear, to be in great difficulty and to be alone. So under the external energy, one always feels alone. We don't feel the presence of our supreme friend through all our difficulties, even through the joys. It was interesting that I ended up going to graduate school after my parents passed away. Well, I started, my father passed away within a couple months of my starting. But I didn't get to share, you know, when I, I went for my graduation, I didn't get to share it with my parents. And I wanted to. I wanted to be able to share my joy with them. So even the joys of life, when one's under the covering of Durga Devi, more or less covering, you don't have anyone to share your joys with. Have you ever noticed that nobody else really cares? <laughs> you don't have anyone to share your joys with. You don't have anyone to share your sorrows with. There's no real companion. One is alone. So this is what Lord Brahma wants to avoid, this illusion of separation. And under the internal energy, under the goddess of fortune in her many, 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 many forms, here is Rama. Of course, there's Radharani, Rukmini, Sita Devi, Lakshmi Devi, Sri Bhumila, so many forms of the internal energy. And when one is under the shelter of the internal energy, then it's impossible to be separated from Krishna. Because the goddess of fortune, although she's Chanchala, she's not Chanchala with her Lord. She's always with her Lord as Srivatsa. We say that those who get Swarupya Mukti, those who have a form like the Lord, they don't have this Srivatsa. Uh, Lakshmi is always with Narayan. Lakshmi is always with the Lord. So as soon as we are under her shelter, then immediately we feel the presence of the Lord always. And of course, to do this, of course, one has to have this humility and giving credit. And then what do we get from the Lord? We get this, as we were talking about uh, the last verse, we get this outpouring of love and affection from the Lord. We get protection 
from falsity and illusion. We get protection from pride and so forth. All of these enemies, lust, anger, envy, greed, illusion, that are impossible. Right? Arjuna says impossible, chanchalahimana Krishna, impossible. But Krishna gives one protection. We, we've seen it. I mean, I've even seen people who have serious mental illness that when they take shelter of the Lord, that they transcend. The mental illness is still there. It's, it's interesting. The mental illness is still there. It's not that it's gone away. It's like, you know, if your foot's been cut off and you chant Hare Krishna, you don't grow a new foot. But they transcend it. Well, mental illness means the mind's more difficult to control than for an ordinary person. And yet they transcend. I've seen it directly in, in several devotees that I know well. So what to speak of somebody with an ordinary mind running around like a wild horse? The, the pride, the deceit, all the things that we struggle and struggle and struggle and they just keep coming back. Uh, Krishna gives one protection. And Krishna invests us with his power. I was just reading in Gopal Champu the story of Jarasandara, which is one of my favorite stories, how Krishna invests Bhima with his power to kill Jarasandar. We get the power, we get the intelligence, we get everything we need for our service and great fulfillment and joy. So what are we going to choose? This is up to us and it's something that's really up to us at every moment. Of course, when we start regularly choosing to be under the shelter of the internal energy, then gradually the struggle with maya decreases. It seems to the beginning devotee that making this choice to be under the internal energy requires so much struggle and so much difficulty and am I going to have to be making this choice forever and so forth. Uh, But after a while it becomes uh, what we do. It becomes our, our default, our automatic nature. I mean, such is even true with material habits. People who substitute a good habit for a bad habit, gradually the good habit overrides the bad habit. In this case, we're not just talking about substituting one material thing for another. We're talking about reviving our original position of being under the shelter of the goddess of fortune. Therefore, because it's natural to us, what we're giving up is unnatural and what we're taking is natural. It's easier for it to become automatic. And it does reach a point where the unnatural is completely gone. It's not simply been overridden. You know, they study people's brains who change their habits and they find out the old habit is still there. The wiring for the old habit is still there. It's just been overridden. Whereas in the case of something spiritual, the old thing becomes, at a certain point, completely gone. It It just vanished. So these are the choices. All of us, we all want to be able to work in the world according to our nature, to be able to do things in the world that are satisfying and fulfilling without the downside. So it's a question of recognizing what is the real downside? What, what is the real fulfillment? What is the real downside? And what's the way of achieving it? The real fulfillment is to have that connection with Krishna. 
The real downside is when I'm alone, when I'm disconnected, when my only companions are my pride and arrogance. And the way to achieve it is this proper credit, proper humility, honest taking shelter of the internal potency. So questions, comments? that you know you have a right to perform your duty but you have no right to the fruit and don't ever think yourself the doer at the same time don't become attached to doing nothing so here we see Lord Brahma is praying really from deep in his heart very earnestly to not to never fall into that illusion of thinking that he is in fact the doer but yet we find later Lord Brahma does actually fall into that illusion. We see that in the uh, Brahma, the Mohan Lila, and other examples as well. How can we not fall into that trap? It's, 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 uh, it's the illusion is so strong that we are the doer. So, what, what hope is there? What, what can we do so that we're always remembering and not fall into that? Of illusion to take of taking the credit. We have to not want to take the credit. It's just that simple. Burma didn't want to take the credit. He, he prayed in earnest, but yet he had a problem. Well, yes, but it was. <laughs> May all my problems be that bad that I see Krishna face to face and enter directly into his lila, you know. It's not a very bad problem. <laughs> Facilitate the Lord desire to be the son of all of the parents of Vrindavan. <laughs> but still the lesson was there. It, it, yes, it, yes, it was Leela. Yeah. But, but there was also a lesson. Yeah, of course there was a lesson, but, you know, may, may, all, my prideful, may all my prideful mistakes be like that. All right, Krishna. I mean, he's seeing Krishna face to face. He's right there, and he's not only that, but he was a direct instrument in the to, to satisfy all the devotees of Vrindavan who wanted. I want Krishna to. I want to serve Krishna the way Madhya Soda and Nandamars do. All the older, as Prabhupada calls them, the elderly, which of course we elderly we usually mean like over seventy. Well, Prabhupada talked about you know the elderly residents, the cows. So the cows wouldn't give milk to their own calves unless Krishna was there. So they wanted to feed their milk directly to Krishna, not just that Krishna milks them and it goes into a pot and then Mother Yasoda boils it. They, they wanted Krishna to become like their calves. That was their desire, and Lord Brahma was very instrumental in fulfilling that desire. So that's not some ordinary thing. But as far as, as, far as your question for us... No, a little patience. We have to expect 
that things are going to be mixed. When we first start practicing Krishna consciousness, in Vishnu Chakravati Thakur and Madhuri Kadambani, in Adushrata and Sadhusanga, there's no removal of an artis at all. It's not until, you know, Vajna Kriya. And really, it doesn't start until an Artanivritti. I mean, you can go on externally in Bhajana Kriya with practically no Anartanivritti at all. I mean, Prabhupada, out of his great kindness, will talk about Anartanivritti in terms of the four regulated principles. <coughs> and, in, you know, for people in the modern world, even, we have to say, frankly, in India, following the four regulated principles may be a huge removal of an artist. Huge, you know, wow. Not eating meat, fish, or eggs, having intoxication, taking illicit sex, going to the casino. Huge! And you think, wow, now I'm Krishna conscious. Because I wake up at 3.30 in, in the morning. And, and then you start finding out that the, the real anartas you have to get rid of are a little bit different than just going to the pub. The real anartas are on a different level. So there, it's, it's mixed. There's some wanting to be Krishna's instrument, but there's also a holding on to the lust, anger, envy, greed, and pride. So a person's praying, Krishna, please use me as your instrument. But if they haven't removed these anartas of deceit and pride, then they're really praying more like a Sakkama devotee. Let me be your paid employee. Let me be your instrument so that I can, you know, roll over the material miseries and be a great person by your grace. It's really what they're asking for. They don't understand that that's what they're asking for. That's what they're asking for. So to come to the point where one is asking for being only the Lord's instrument out of love under the internal potency with no pride, to, to sincerely be asking for that requires quite a removal of an artist to even understand what that means. That, that, that takes time. So because in the beginning we're not even really asking for that. We don't even know what to ask for. You know, we can parrot the prayers of the Acharyas and the prayers of the Shastras. I mean, I used to regularly read this chapter. Let's see. When was that? 1977, I guess. 76, 77. I was reading these prayers of Lord Brahma every day because the benediction at the end says you get all of your desires fulfilled. And I thought, well, that kind of covers everything. You know how there's a benediction for each of the leelas and stuff in the Bhagavatam? And I thought, oh, this is like the one-stop shopping, you know, the, the superstore. You get all your desires fulfilled. <laughs> you recite these prayers. So I, I, at that time, I mean, it's kind of, I don't remember them all anymore, but I had the, all the Sanskrit and English memorized them. But what was I really asking for? And in fact, when the, when the devotees who want to hold on to their pride say, Krishna, let me serve you as your instrument without pride, then Krishna says, oh, really? <laughs> you sure that's what you want? 
<laughs> and then uh, he acts sort of, uh, he does interesting things in your life. <laughs> and does things to take away your pride. And, and then you see, do I really want it? You know, sometimes you may say, whoops, wasn't what I really wanted. Forget about that prayer. <laughs> you know. But no, once we want it, we'll have it. And the process of Krishna consciousness, as Krishna nicely explains in 12th chapter, at text 9, is to develop this desire, to develop this itcha. So as we become more and more purified of our anartas, then our desire to be purified of anartas increases. And our desire to have real love increases. And we get some sense gradually, gradually, of what we're really asking for. Our our prayer becomes more and more genuine and meaningful. I mean, it's just a simple material example. So one of my one of my grandchildren did something that, that was not very pleasing. And I said to her, you know, I'm kind of upset with you. And she's just a little kid, six years old. I said, I'm just kind of upset with you. She said, well, can you take me to the farmer's market today when you go out? And I said, well, I really, I really don't feel like it in the way you were acting. And then she comes and says, well, I'm sorry. And I said, you're just saying you're sorry because you want to go to the farmer's market with me. Do you really know what you're sorry for? And I, I said, you know, I'd like you to realize what you're sorry for. So then she just cried for you know, a long time. So what did she want? She didn't want to fix the relationship with me. She just wanted to use me to get what she wanted. You know, she's a little kid, so she's not really aware of what she's wanting, but we are little kids in, in Krishna consciousness in the same way. We may not be asking because we want to fix the relationship. We may be asking because we just want the Lord to bless our Maya. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's nice, thank you. Anybody else? Yes, actually it was. Because that is the essence of everything. That is the question. Or is that just coincidental that Dharma and Dharma happen to be just spelled so similarly? 
That's a very good question that I've never heard or thought about before. But I do know that there is a description in the Bhagavatam about how our consciousness is reflected in this mirror of our desires. It's perfectly understandable why a mirror would be uh, associated with pride. You know, there's a lot of renunciates who take vows of not having mirrors, for example. And even in other religions, uh, in times of mourning, they cover the mirrors. But there's a concept that the modes of nature reflect in our heart, give us a reflection in our heart, and we perceive reality not directly, but through this reflection of our particular desires. So when, and this, this fact is well known in modern psychology, that we don't perceive the world directly, but through the filter of our biases and beliefs and experiences. And such is the reason why you can present 10 people with the same set of facts and the same objects and their understanding will be vastly different because of their biases. So this cleansing of the mirror is we're cleansing it of all of our biases and false beliefs and attachments so that we see things as they are. And all of our biases and all of our attachments are some permutation of pride. Yeah, sure. But it was through the looking glass. So I thought the looking glass was a mirror. And one time, and I was thinking about is there a connection between mirror and pride? And I was I walked by, and my mother was putting on her makeup, and she was sitting in it's like a bureau with a mirror in front of it. And the name of that piece of furniture is a vanity. So. I just kind of saw a connection between mirror and vanity because that's what the, that piece of furniture is called. They sit in front of and they put their makeup on in front of the vanity. But it's the looking glass, that's also a mirror, isn't it? Yes, yes, the looking glass is, means a mirror. So it seemed like all those things were connected. Well, definitely. The, again, the internal, our internal bias through which we mirror... See, we're, this is, you're really getting into Sankhya here. Our, our senses are not perceiving the world directly. We're not. And our subtle body is not directly interacting with the world. There, there is a filter, which is, again, it's like a mirror that reflects the world onto our consciousness. And depending on the nature of that mirror. You know, if, if you want to make money, you see everything as opportunities to make money. And you see everything in terms of money. I mean, I, I work with one devotee who's a, a business person. And everything he sees is in terms of money. You know, when, when he does some service, he'll say, well, you know, it took me... An, an hour and a half, and I'm worth $50 an hour, so I just gave... I mean, everything is in terms of... puts everything in monetary value, because that's his filter. I mean, I don't think like that. It's a very... to me, it's a very foreign way of thinking. Or, you know, the person who's lusty, they see... they look at the world and they see sex objects. 
someone who's not lusty, they don't they don't see like that. They don't they don't perceive the world like that. If somebody if you think someone's your enemy, then you perceive everything they do as aggressive. I'm sure we've had that experience where people perceive us as aggressive when we're not. And we say, you know, oh, I, 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 I see you got a new vacuum cleaner, but it's still dirty over here. Did you use the vacuum cleaner over here and it just doesn't work very well? Or did you not get to this place? Or what are you saying? I didn't clean properly? No, I was just asking how well the new vacuum cleaner works. So, it, you know, we've all had that experience. Somebody misinterprets our behavior as aggressive when it, when it wasn't. Or the other way, you know, somebody interprets your behavior as much more friendly than you intended it to be. Or flirtatious or something, you know. They think you're flirting with them when, when, you're, when you're not. Because that's their filter. That's, that's the kind of mirror that they have. And yes, it's all connected with vanity. It's all connected with one sense of upadi, one sense of identity. I am this, I am that. One's false identification, which prevents us from interacting with reality directly. One can only interact with reality directly if one is in truth oneself, if one doesn't have this false pride. It's interesting, Jaidwaita Maharaj has recently published a book called Vanity Karma, which is an analysis of the book of the Bible, Ecclesiastes, through the lens of Bhagavad Gita and Vaishnava philosophy. And uh, Ecclesiastes starts out with vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And Jaidwaita Maharaj explains that we tend to think of vanity in terms of pride, but vanity was also used by the original writer of Ecclesiastes to mean in vain, useless. That all is vanity, all is in vain. Nothing has any real value. And of course, there's some connection there. Anything done in pride. Anything done out of pride has no, has no meaning. Another meaning of the Hebrew word used for vanity in Ecclesiastes is vapor. It is just some wind, temporary, fleeting. So anything done in this mood, there's no meaning to it. Anything that appears to be of value, if it is without relation to me, has no reality, know it to be my illusory energy. That reflection, again, we have this idea of reflection, that reflection which appears to be in darkness. So in, in Tamagun, the mirror is, is almost black. You're looking in this mirror, but what you see is so distorted that you, you're not really seeing anything in Tamagun and then in in Rajagun, you're seeing something, at least you're seeing light. You're not really seeing shapes and forms, you're seeing some light. And then in Sattvagun, you're seeing clearly, but you're still seeing through a looking glass. You're still seeing through a reflection, not seeing directly. In Bhakti, you're seeing directly. Pratyaksha Vagalandharma. You're, you're no longer seeing 
through through a mirror. Then, when the dust is removed from the mirror, you start coming to sattva. Sattva is a clean mirror. And from sattva, you can get rid of your mirror. And you can see Krishna face to face. Thank you. You can take one more. Excellent question. Such a thoughtful question. Very nice. of the Lord and at the same time with the mirror and the heart covered with pride our prayers are useless so what can we do? Well they're not useless they're not useless with pride makes everything useless something like that you mentioned huh? well I understood that well but it's degrees it's degrees well, well, in other words, if we're not connected with Krishna, Krishna says everything's useless when we're not connected with him. It doesn't have any value. But if you're praying to Krishna, then you're not disconnected. You're trying to connect. So it's not on-off. It's not that either it's completely perfect or it's totally useless. There's degrees. Even the mode of passion is far, far better than the mode of ignorance. The mode of goodness is far, far better than the mode of passion. And a beginning devotee in, in pure bhakti is far superior to some great demigod in the mode of goodness. So that has value. Even if it's contaminated, it has value. I always give the example, because Prabhupada gives the example, of the child learning how to walk. Right now here in the house we have a little baby. She's like five months old. So she can't even sit up by herself. She sits up, she has to be propped up. But she's working at it. Whenever you lie her on her back, she's trying to do sit-ups. Over and over and over and over and over. Now, if you look at her right now, she can't sit up. So you could say, well, it's useless. But it's not useless. It's a step. It's a stage. What's completely useless is somebody working completely in ignorance without any connection with the Lord. That's completely useless. That has no value. Krishna says in this life or the next, it has just absolutely no value for anybody. But that's such is not the case for the devotee. Of course, the devotee in humility will often pray, I, I don't do anything. I don't really have any sadhana, I don't have any piety, I don't have anything. The only credit is your mercy. So That's good. It's not good if you become depressed and say, everything I do is useless, I might as well stay in bed. You know, that's not good. <laughs> but if you say, you know, none of my efforts are ever going to be sufficient. I, without your mercy, I am nothing. And that's very good. 
Okay, thank you very much. Shilpropod Kijai. Bhagavatam Kijai.